This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, uh, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe live from Kigali at the Inclusive Fintech Forum. I'm here with my longtime friend and probably the best investor in Africa I know, Arjuna Costa, managing partner of Flourish Ventures. Arjuna, it's great to have you here. What a, what a pleasure, Matteo. <laughs> so let's start, uh, you know, this, we could have done this conversation at the bar, on the beach, uh, you know, at any of the events yes. of the planet, but why are we having this conversation here? You know, what brings you to Kigali? Sure. Um, I think Kigali is representative of the potential of the continent of Africa. There's a lot of innovation happening here. The financial services system is actually being disrupted and it's being built in a more inclusive fashion. Um, and Kigali is a sort of hub for that. And it has attracted people from across the globe, a partnership with the MAS from Singapore, and a caliber of people that are in a conversation actively thinking about solutions to real life problems in Africa. And there's no better place to have that conversation. So, you know, I could actually, um, we used to work together almost seven years ago. And uh, uh, I could actually trace your, your, the bio, your bio for you, but uh, I'll let you actually explain the evolution from uh, Omidia Network, which was our sure. common house uh, uh, seven years ago, and how did it span off to Flourish? And also something I really would like you to talk about, which is also close to my heart, so the Matica VC initiative. Sure. Uh, Madika.vc, made short for Made in Africa, uh, which is your initiative and attempt to reach uh, frontiers market and mm -hmm. uh, in countries that uh, were not your usual uh, sort of target in terms of, uh, of investment. Yep. So let's trace your bio and the investment thesis because it's also a fascinating story that I really wish, you know, that more people, you know, would know. Thanks for that. Um, with your <laughs> indulgence, I'll go back a little further. So I've been working on the continent for the last 26 years across Sub-Saharan Africa. Primarily. Told you guys, you know, one of the best I know. Um, always with one real mission in mind, which is to solve the gap in access to capital and access to information. And in the first days, it was actually last mile microfinance with farmer groups in rural Africa. Over the years, that's evolved to now supporting early stage innovative ventures, different model, different medium, solving the same problem that I've been working on. Right? And in between those two, there was uh, a period where I worked restructuring and privatizing failed banks on the continent, trying to restructure these banks and take them down market so they serve the mass market. One of them was here, isn't it? Including in Rwanda. So I first came to Kigali in 2001. 
and the transformation in this city and this country from my first visit to probably now my 15th visit 22 years later is remarkable. I have not, and I, I grew up in Bangalore, so I've seen cities that transform in short periods of time. Kigali is, is truly exceptional. Anyway, so in 2010, I joined an organization called the Omidyar Network. Um, it was an organization created by Pierre Omidyar and his wife Pam. Pierre, of course, is the founder of eBay. And thanks to the success of eBay and the successful acquisition of PayPal and the value that they created, they chose to use that wealth to tackle a number of key sectors and challenges across the globe and try and improve, really, people's lives, the lives of people running small businesses, and build healthier societies. I came to that with a very specific purpose, which is how do you use the early signs of mobile and the intersection of mobile and financial services to try and solve this access to capital problem. We built that within Omidyar Network over a period of about eight years from 2010 to 2018. We got to work together in the, in the course of that, really focused on two things. How do we invest in early stage entrepreneurs solving real life problems for households and small businesses from a financial services perspective? We also had this, and this is where we got to collaborate, a unique perspective on how do you use grant capital to build the ecosystem around that innovation, right? How do you engage with policymakers? How do you engage with regulators? How do you drive the narrative, which is why we're sitting here too, right? In one of these uh, projects, actually, we got to help uh, uh, what back then was FinTech Nigeria yeah. that evolved into the Africa FinTech, FinTech Network, Network uh, right? today. I still yeah. remember. So you guys backed us with FinTech Stage. We launched FinTech Stage Lagos. That was I the remember first that, yes. Remember? You were there, yep. actually. Yeah, 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 I was there. And, and in FinTech Stage Lagos was like the, the, the beginning of this uh, huge development in terms of how the different countries organize themselves in the different FinTech associations, right? Which is a great point, Matteo, because you don't, we think about entrepreneurs not just as building for-profit ideas. This is a great example. You're a great example of an entrepreneur that has an influence over the narrative, right? You've, you've gone across the globe and brought fintech innovation to the forefront, which has moved the system forward. The example in Lagos was a, sort of somebody who said, I can build an association, I've got a policy an advocacy angle, but I start from one event, and now in Kigali, the African FinTech Association is, is a very strong representative. Um, yeah, so we did that, and at some point, and this is the question you asked about the transition to Flourish, um, we built a very strong portfolio of early stage FinTech investments across the US, Latin America, Southeast Asia, India and Sub-Saharan Africa, and increasingly North Africa. Including Flutterwave for the three people that are listening to us, amongst <laughs> the two million who still don't know, but yeah. yeah um, a lot of iconic companies across the globe. We had a strong team with a representation across the globe. We had a clear strategy. Um, and the Omidyar um, decision makers said, you know, what this requires to drive further impact is to create a smaller, more nimble, hyper-focused 
organization focused just on this idea of driving financial well-being. Um, so we spun out from the Umadir network, we created Flourish Ventures, very much the same mandate, backing entrepreneurs, for-profit and non-profit, that are driving financial health for small businesses and households, all with a view of trying to drive a fairer financial system that has more democratic access for all. Still entirely funded by the Umidyar family, which that structure gives us unique capabilities to think about markets over the long term, to take risk where others might not, to back entrepreneurs on a journey. Um, as and having been an entrepreneur yourself or an intrapreneur, so you know how the hard that is. Um, so to really be a partner um, to these talented, innovative young founders um, as they build businesses that have impact across the globe. And be before we get into Madika, yeah. because we will. We will, for sure. <laughs> you, you actually gave me a great input on something that uh, uh, we talked about yesterday in the, in the panel where Rami, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, uh, my former colleague and your my, my current your, colleague, your current colleague, uh, you know, talked about the fact that, uh, you know, maybe the Silicon Valley parameters in terms mm -hmm. of uh, venture capital and how they think about return or how Silicon Valley sort of broad model, you know, into Africa today, think about return might not be the best uh, or the yeah. most adapted, right? And I know you guys are very, you know, the, the strong advocates of it. Do you want to like, develop sure. a little bit and give you, actually, this, this is not an official statement, it's also your own opinion. It's right? my own opinion, absolutely. After all, this is a podcast. Yeah. Um, let's start with the very, we, we can take two, two perspectives on this. One, the structure of the fund itself that makes the investment, and then how the actual investment operates. Let's start there. There is this widely held belief that the right amount of capital to provide a company is 18 months of runway. You get 12 to 15 months to prove an idea, to show some traction, and then you raise money in the next three months. That's easy if you're sitting in Palo Alto and you go down to Sand Hill Road, which is the center of venture capital, and in a few weeks you can raise capital. If you're sitting in Nairobi or Lagos, it's a little easier. If you're sitting in Kigali in a smaller market or in Lusaka, it's harder. So, does that funding model work? On the other side, one of the sort of characteristics or definitions of frontier and emerging markets is the institutional frameworks are, are weaker. So it's harder to show traction, it's harder to get started, right? So you're compressed on both sides. It takes you more time to start, it takes you more time to raise. So how much time do you actually have to prove the actual model? How more patient you need to be. You need to be more patient. So how do you, how do you start to think about those dynamics? On the fund side, um, fund economics tend to be, you know, one out of 10 of your investments gives you a 100x return, a bunch of them fail, and a bunch of them give you your money back. And you're always looking for that one exceptional investment. In a market where exit opportunities are fewer and far between, local capital markets are harder to access because there's less liquidity. International capital markets are hard to access because you're a new name and a new country, right? Does that fund structure and the way you make bets add up to a successful fund? 
Then there's the time frames and the time limits on the fund structures that you might need to be more patient in a market like this where you're actually helping build and sensitize a market. Um, and I would argue that you, know, you can even pick on the, the management fee structure. Um, if these are smaller markets that require smaller ticket sizes, the overall fund size, I would argue, needs to be a small fund. But does that give you enough management fee to build the team and the support infrastructure to work with these entrepreneurs, mentor them, build, help build the companies? So maybe right? so there's different aspects of this that all have up, some up. refinement. So we, we actually uh, touched upon it this morning uh, when we were chatting that maybe there is this hybrid model, right, where, where there is a, a part of the, the, the money that goes directly into uh, the, the startups uh, or, or mm -hmm. into the companies, but there is also maybe some side capital that is not part of the fund itself. We call it the technical assistance, right, yeah. money or, or pot of money, and maybe that is the right model. And actually, this is what you guys have been, you know, try to yeah. do with Madika, right? At the end, the, at least the fun part in terms of being more patient, give more runway, explore new markets, right? That yeah. was the basis That's of the your basis. decision. Right. I think a lot of what you're talking about is the, the effort that needs to be put into market development, right? Um, so let's talk about Madika for a second. Um, but okay. uh, Marika came out of actually a napkin, a, probably a napkin no, conversation. A, a mirror. How yeah. about a mirror? A mirror. Yeah. <laughs> we looked at our we looked at ourselves to be very candid and transparent, and we looked at our portfolios, and they all had a certain bias in it. Okay, let's take our Africa portfolio. It was limited to really three countries, and more importantly, three cities or four cities: Cairo and Cape Town at the poles. Lagos and Nairobi at the east and west. For the most part, all male founders. A lot of them educated, worked, trained abroad. Like a diaspora. D diaspora, yes. expats, yeah, people coming back pretty bad. Um, Potential diaspora, actually. Potential diaspora, yeah. <laughs> um, so we looked at it and we really asked ourselves a question, like, is this the face of the continent? And the answer was a clear no. Um, some statistics, I didn't come prepared with statistics, but it's directionally correct. 90 to 92% of venture funding on the continent over the last few years has gone to male founders. Yeah. Um, I think something like 80% goes to these four countries. 72%, um, if I remember right, goes to founders who have been educated or come from abroad. And 65% or so goes to fintech. Now, the last one, we're a fintech fund, so yeah. we can't get around that. But the other three we should try to address. So as a firm, we decided to think very deeply about what's the root cause of that bias in our portfolio. And the more we thought about it, the decision was actually being made before we even got to invest. So all the companies that made it to the stage that we would invest in already looked like that. Yeah. So we said, okay, how do we solve this? We, we need go to go earlier. go earlier. Of course. We have to go all the way to the top of the funnel and sort of venture 
venture capital speak, like top of the funnel, and start to build a portfolio that was more reflective of the diversity of talent that's on the continent. So what, what are we doing? We launched something called Madika. As you said, it's a portmanteau, a mix of made in Africa. Um, it's a pre-seed investment fund. Um, we're going to run it for three years. We hope to make 30 investments, $200,000 each, happy to be the first institutional check-in, um, with a very deliberate attempt to break all these biases. Looking for local founders, looking for female founders and CEOs, looking um, outside of fintech, so it's multi-sector. Um, we will gravitate towards, I think, things that make people's lives better. Health, education, striving climate problems. I'd love to see creative ideas in solving some of the urban planning issues that, that are, you know, some cities in Africa face. So a real wide variety of issues and trying to look beyond those four main markets. Now, not each investment will be different on all four dimensions. It'll, you know, we'll, we'll have to calibrate and figure out where we find the most talented entrepreneurs. Um, but my hope and my expectation, and from all of the years I've spent working on the continent, I don't doubt that those entrepreneurs are out there. Um, what we also recognize was it's not just financial capital. You need to bring more. Um, so one of the interesting features that we've uh, put in place with this Madika uh, fund is we've taken half the profits of the fund and given it to a group of 10 mentors that we're recruiting. And the 10 mentors are incentivized with real upside that they can help create. And hopefully if the numbers add up, each mentor works with three companies over a multi-year period of time. Um, because one of the things we noticed, again in contrast to San Francisco and Silicon Valley where I live, is there are a lot of second and third time founders who've sold out from their businesses, who've made a lot of money, who have the time and the mental bandwidth to give back to mentor. Here we're still in the early stages of building that ecosystem, so how do you get that sparked? You actually incentivize the mentors. Um, we also plan, and we, we've actually done a lot of curriculum, right? The basic stuff, like how do you incorporate? How do you, you know, move money? How do you set up transfer pricing if you're a multi-country? In between soft skills and, and, and the basics. And the basics, yes. yeah. Yes. And we want to really create a peer network of these founders. So we hope to bring them together two, three times a year, do learning visits, you know, take them to Lagos to see what a bigger African market might be like, take them to India to see what a very different ecosystem could be like, bring them to Silicon Valley to see, you know, expose them to different sets of ideas. So we really have, this, it's new. We've made one investment that we plan to announce recently. So we're just getting started. Mm -hmm. But um, again, we have the resources in place to be able to try and put this together. I think beyond the success of the individual investments, what we're hoping for, and I know you're, you are too, is the signaling effect to say, you can look at a broader variety of founders and companies, and there's a way to build successful companies on the continent. It's, right? uh, it's actually super significant, and, and, you know, and I wish people could actually have uh, a you know, 10,000 feet view on, 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 this, mm. on this journey, because uh, people don't realize, you know, today, 
half of my friends who says, oh, I'm going to Africa, say, oh, is it dangerous, you know? Right. And, and we are still in this, uh, you know, there is a lot of this pre, uh, how do you say, preconception. Pre preconceived notions. Exactly, yeah, yeah, of course. exactly. So, uh, let's start with I'm going to Africa, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> People would say, oh, I'm going to Chicago or I'm going to LA. Nobody says I'm going to America. Exactly. We've got 54 countries and 100 cities. Exactly. Each of them, exactly. Right? Exactly. Just... So to start with. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that uh, like, uh, big players like you are starting paying attention to markets that traditionally have been, not that neglected is not the right word, but uh, do not, you know, has not, have not been put as a priority simply because, you know, for scaling Scale. reasons, right? Yeah. And, and of course, you know, and it's not only a matter of, uh, you know, the, 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 how patient is the capital that you put, but also the effort that you put in mm -hmm. developing uh, these startups and coaching these entrepreneurs. We were talking this morning that if you embark in a journey like this, you have to shoot for sustainability, yes, but you don't need to press for the returns, to be, uh, to be obsessed about the returns. Otherwise, uh, the metrics won't work yeah. in, 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 frontiers, uh, in frontiers economies. So uh, I'll let you, because I could do it myself, but you, please do uh, sort of uh, do a shameless uh, madica.vc you know, ad. How do, you know, right. what, what the, the three criteria, where do people go? That you, if, if you're at, like a kick-ass founders, come to me yeah. and I'll put you in touch with these guys as well, but... They no. can also. So one of the things we're trying to break with Madika is the need for that network. Right? So they can go to madika.vc and apply. Just go to madika.vc and apply. You don't have to know Matteo. You don't have to know me. You don't have to get my business card at a conference, which as a startup founder, you shouldn't be spending your time at conferences unless there's real money there. Yeah. And right, you're paying for a conference entry than spending your time away from building product and talking to customers, right? So how do we break that? Make it simple. There's an application. The second thing we've done is we've said, this is not happening in cohorts. Like many other of these programs, you know, they start on Ju July 1st. But founders are ready for this when they're ready for it. They can't wait for July 1st or January 1st. So it's a continuous basis. There's a simple screening form. We'll, we'll engage with you. We commit to, if we say no, saying why we said no, and giving you the transparency. It's very important. But it's, it's um, an attempt really to democratize access to early stage capital. Uh, and we love feedback. So if anybody listens to this podcast, call him or call me and tell me how we should be doing this better. I think that, you know, he said it all and he's a great uh, sort of wrap up uh, as well. Guys, that was Breaking Banks Europe live from Inclusive Fintech Forum in Kigali. Arjuna, thank you very much. And it's a wrap. At timepledge.org, we are building the largest free coaching and advisory platform for entrepreneurs by providing mentorship opportunities based on pledge time. Our network of seasoned industry experts acting as coaches is working for free, pledging their valued time to the next generation of entrepreneurs who will change everything. Our portfolio of sessions goes over every skill an entrepreneur needs to successfully launch 
his or her startup, from how to pitch and behave with investors to how to best market your idea online or even how to best manage your team. We have the perfect session with the perfect mentors. Want to learn how to become the best entrepreneur you can be or mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs in Africa and Asia? Please visit timepledge.org and let's get you started. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe, live from Kigali. That's the inclusive fintech forum. You know, by now I'm Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show, and I'm here with my friend Innocent, one of the distinguished speakers of the forum. And, you know, Innocent, very, very warm welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you so much, Matteo. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me on this platform and for the big opportunity. Why don't you share, share a little bit with our audience? There are two million Europeans that are listening. Eh? I mean, yes. when we will uh, go stream live. Yeah. So explain a little bit what your role is and why every time you post something, there are uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that react. You're our best uh, social media advocate. I actually don't think there are just two million people watching. <laughs> Probably this might become the biggest hit that ever happened on the platform before. So we might have 200 million people watching us. I am so believing. Yeah, well, uh, to your question, uh, it's been 19 years of me working at High People. We're making 19 years this year. And we've grown a community of uh, followers that are interested in transformation, especially digital transformation. But part of the thing that has happened in the space is we've created and added a lot of value every single day of our lives. So they have confidence and trust in what we share, in what we communicate, and they love to see progress because they believe all we do means progress. So you will find that any time when I have to communicate about anything, everyone, and you know what is even most funny is that the people that follow me first are the people who are most influential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> explain a little bit because uh, yeah. there are there are different uh, sort of yeah. uh, uh, verticals and, yes. and domains you're involved in, and yes. we'll talk about Moja Loop, of yes. course, and about about the whole the infrastructure and the project you're involved in. But let's talk a little bit about. Uh, the model, the high people model, you know, yes. so it's a community, but how does this community work? It's like a, a, an informal series of consultants that put together to work on projects. Is a B2B, is a B2C, what is it? I'm actually curious. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for the curiosity. We also had problems answering that question for a long time. <laughs> and uh, why? Because the truth is that we had problems. Why? Because we built a B2B2C model of business that uh, for many times we wanted to demonstrate the transformative capacity of digitization. So we had to find industries where we can demo this and show our leaders, our regulators, and everyone else how transformative technology can be. So what we do is we start by creating a social network back in 2005. And uh, part of the things we did is we localized the solution 
of something we call an email to SMS service. And uh, the email to SMS service, SMS service was solving a problem that uh, President Kagame and uh, the President of Zambia, His Excellency, have been talking about just a few minutes ago, uh, talking about how communication was very expensive and inaccessible. So we were in, in university, myself, I was in high school, and um, the main founder, John Buck, was uh, at university. And it was very expensive for students to send messages. So people could go angry. Like hungry, someone can't have food for a whole three days, yeah, because they cannot even call, they don't have a phone. Or like, okay, our bit of social networking first should be enabling these ones that have a problem solving. So our email to SMS platform allowed for millions of people send millions of messages free of charge to more than 89 destinations in the world. And now that was demonstrating how we can use High People website, log on to www.highpeople.com, send messages very easily. And then that we did for a long time. And how could you make it free? Well, how we made it free is we made use of uh, technology. We used internet to make sure that we understand the loop. It, uh, the protocols that were all available could allow for uh, a domain to send a message to a phone. And because those protocols were allowing, like, okay, we can do this. And, and well, before we knew, the model was copied by almost everyone. But at the same time, we were sabotaged. The telecom started blocking our messages. Of course, because you were sort of taking away revenues from the telco providers, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. But we thought that maybe at some point in time, the likes of Google, Yahoo, and uh, the rest would provide this service for free because SMS was becoming a little bit more affordable. And then uh, the rate of usage of SMS has really gone down. Like it's maybe about 5% of usage. People use other micro uh, blogging and messaging platforms. And then thanks so, God WhatsApp arrived, exa right? Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. So when Facebook WhatsApp came in, they, they, I mean, there was my space then for course, chatting, high five, and all those things that were happening. But we're excited for creating an impact. The social network on the back end had everything that Facebook has today, getting more than 50,000 Africans online and communicating for a number of years. But now we're demonstrating and showing people how you can use the internet to actually be beneficial to your people, communicate and access information and all kind of stuff. Because us as Africans, many times, if we have no examples of usage, we don't learn. Uh, it is rare, apart from those who dream big and want to create a new worlds and eco economies, most people really want to have an example of things so that they can be able to create. So we did that first time. Second, we're like, oh, okay, where else can we be able to show people how useful internet can be? So we had a very big problem in our creative arts industry. Having a musician uh, take their song to a TV and playing was like selling your liver. Kind of a very expensive for them. like a very the very early stage of the creator's economy, right? Ex so how do an artist can monetize his own art using internet? Ex right? Exactly. So we're like, oh wait a minute, we can actually democratize this. So what we do is instead of just being a social uh, networking platform, we turn into a social entertainment platform, and say, okay, we should demonstrate for creative artists and show them how they can use the internet to, first of all, distribute their music, and secondly, find ways of monetizing their music and finding some resources back, because the only way they could make money was through shows and all that kind of stuff. And that, I always want to own the creditors, myself and high people, that we change the entire African landscape. 
uh, a few years after that, everyone, Nigeria was uploading their movies online and everything, the ones they wish want to show on, in cinemas. Uh, the, the tapes and the CDs were not really a thing or a priority anymore. And we are very happy and thankful to God that that transformation happened because we started that. But we were, were you able to, sorry if I interrupt you, were you able to sort of monetize it and make it self-sustainable? Because, you know, streaming services are actually very expensive yeah. and the infrastructure has to be paid. So how did you manage? And, and the reason why I'm asking is because uh, yeah, I know that you have uh, not only strong values, but mm -hmm. also a genuine uh, sort of uh, love to make changes, right? But sometimes you always have uh, to co not compromise, but uh, to make sure that what you build is sustainable so that can scale, so that you can have a greater impact. So that's why I keep asking, yeah. because you are a model to a lot of entrepreneurs that maybe have an idea, they might actually implement it and start doing some good, but then they stop because they cannot monetize it. So that's why I'm keen asking. Yeah, I thank you, my dear. I thank you, my brother. That's a very important question, and I'm going to give you an honest answer. First of all, we failed to monetize. Not because we didn't have the model. We had watched videos and read books about how Google used AdSense to monetize and the Netscape uh, story. We had seen how Mark Zuckerberg was revolutionizing and getting to use uh, the visibility of content. I mean, from onset, our thing was, can we use a content avenue to actually create revenue? And uh, yes, um, because of the fact that even when we used to get music from musicians themselves and producers, we didn't really have sole rights to actually monetize it. So ethically, uh, even when we had a few um, dozens of agreements with musicians that allowed us to monetize it, we thought that the B2B to C approach would be calling more, so we should let musicians make their own money from their side, use platforms that were already scaled, the likes of YouTube. I mean, we're having challenges ourselves running content delivery networks and the server, that kind of stuff, and you're like, okay, oh, wait a minute, the model is bigger. We want to expound on the transformative capacity of digitization. This is just one sector that we want to, that want to transform, but there are many others. And when we, when we did it so well with the musicians and with other creative artists, the next place was saying, can we now go to the providers, the business that provide services and products, go to the corporate? So uh, that was uh, crazy. We go and uh, I remember us looking for a list of the top 1,000 taxpayers in Uganda. Okay. Can you imagine, can you guess where we got it from? Uh, I don't know. I will leave my SIM card here with you if you guess. <laughs> <laughs> so when you come to Uganda, you don't need to get a SIM card. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Can you guess? operators maybe? No, no, no. Try to guess, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. I don't know, that would be too wild. The, mm, uh, Chief of the police? <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't have that. So, you know, we run to URA, which is our revenue authority. We run to the central bank. We run to different people, and they don't have this document. And okay. you have to buy it online. And whoever had it was an, uh, a, a Briton uh, company that was selling this information, and they're the only ones who had an, an authentic... A, Br a British company, you Yes, said? yes. 
Seriously? Yes, it was okay. in it was in London and we buy it online. I think it was about forty, fifty dollars. It shouldn't have been very So expensive. for fifty dollars you yeah. bought the list of the first uh, Ugandan taxpayers. In the the one thousand, top one thousand taxpayers. And you asked me why were we buying it? I mean, with the question you asked earlier was how were we able to monetize? So monetizing, the journey is still ongoing. I mean, even years later, every single year, we are still believing in creative artists, we are still believing in music, to the extent that as high people and our partners, the likes of NG Films, the likes of Make Media, and uh, concepts and such as uh, AdBrank and, and the likes, we were able to, and Wakaliwood actually, were able to produce the first ever Ugandan movie to go on Amazon. Yeah, okay. and even that one still hasn't yet made money. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't yet made the money. We made some sales of about uh, 12, 15,000 around, making sales of well wish as another kind of stuff. We had invested much, much, much more because I led in the investment. I invested more than 90% of what was, was spent on the film. But now we have spent the last five years building those capacities better. Because one, there is proof that these industries are profitable. Secondly, there is proof that we have capacity that we built over time. Third, we have confidence in the network that we have built over time. That, okay, it might not happen one day or two days, but after some time of being consistent and doing this, we can be able to break through. So you know what we decided to do in that, uh, that side of uh, everything? We created an initiative called We Will Win. So we'll win. I'll invite you to join it. Maybe we shall act in the film with you. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I want to share something with you, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Share please. the initiative, we will win. Go yeah, ahead. so we decided to go, we will win. Created a consortium of some sort, invited the likes of the Private Sector Foundation Uganda to support us and be our collaborators, and a number of other companies, Idation Con and the others I mentioned earlier, told them, guys, we want to create 93,000 decent job opportunities in creative arts. We are going to train all these people on how to create the best kind of films and whatever short or feature or series and whatever it may be. We're going to train them hands-on. We're going to have them with us for four years and make sure we create a minimum of 10 blockbusters that are going to make billions of dollars. And, uh, and now we are ready to make the money. So to answer your question, we are going to make the money from that model. Sustainability has been that there are two other things. We leverage our professional capacities, our skills to actually keep ourselves going by doing consultancies, by serving the other good, uh, saying, okay, we should make sure our community adapts to technology. Because one of the things we really wanted to see every single day was the progress of inclusion, digital inclusion, financial inclusion. You know, financial inclusion would never been possible without digital inclusion, especially without that phone. When I was teaching in Makere some years ago in 2009, 10, around there, we used to call phones personal digital assistants. Yeah. So I keep telling the girls we met and the women in FinTech Hackathon that, oh, girls, you're young. For you, that phone is your computer. So you have access to one. But you also have a laptop. For us, it was a PDA. It couldn't do so much apart from calling. So, I mean, it's beautiful stuff, unless if, uh, unless if I haven't said something about uh, <laughs> please tell me. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I, the, the reason why you yeah. uh, you uh, yeah. you made me think of of a project that is yeah. in the actually in, in a drawer, but is half done already. You know, yeah. I, 
I wrote two books already. One about uh, you know fintech revolution, another one. one about uh, you know talent and rebels, yes. and you know talking about uh, you know lateral type of talents, in disruptive innovation, so forth. Yes. But there is a third book in the making, and I think I told you the story about it, which is I want to give visibility to. 30 African entrepreneurs oh, yes. that are changing the life of their citizen, of the citizens of their countries, yes. with their work and the technology. And uh, I thought that Netflix uh, or Amazon Prime uh, should be very interested in this type of stories. And then you take an European and an African person sharing these technologies, actually living the life uh, of the startups and of the people that these startups uh, and um, of which these, these startups are changing the lives of, it could be in an agri-tech, in a mobility, it could be like, uh, you know, in a boda-boda, uh, you know, a trip, you know, over the rural zone of Uganda, for example. And you see how technology is transforming the yeah. life of the people, which is exactly why high people have been created, right? Exactly. So I was also thinking of selling uh, this type of format to some sort of big publishers because uh, I think that Africa, the continent, and several of the countries of this continent yes. are actually role model in digital transformation, and the rest of the world should learn about it. Actually, the title of the book yes. is learning from Africa. I'm sure Zuckerberg will watch this uh, episode, I'm very sure. And I wrote to him a letter and he hasn't responded. I'm so angry, I'm so mad at them. Uh, not because, Mark, come yeah, on, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> as, in, as in Mark... Now, everyone who listens to the podcast and knows Mark yeah. Zuckerberg, please yeah. write an email to yeah. him. So I sent him a mail, I even paid DHL, <laughs> telling him that, wait a minute, Mark, in your absentia, we might look like a small continent, but some of us decided to sell the things that you did in your early stages, not because we didn't have a high people social network. So one time, and let me tell you this story, it happened to us about four months ago. Our community lead, uh, engagement lead, uh, was trying to verify our Twitter account before uh, Elon Musk uh, brought out the payment policy for, for a blue tick. So they were trying to fight so hard to get a blue tick that we have gotten for so many people and we don't have it. Uh, so somehow he was adjusting a date of date of birth and then they blocked our page. Okay. And so this gentleman, was, Nick, was really, really scared of what he could tell me. So when he, when he came, I'm like, no, wait a minute, there's no problem, it's okay. If we lose, it's okay. After all, we don't have control over this. But in my head, I was like, okay, wait a minute, I can spend some few dollars, about $60, to send the mail. So I went, looked up the list of administrators at uh, Twitter and wrote a letter to the, I think, the head of marketing and told them, people, wait a minute, we have done a lot of job advocating for the tools you've created, and you now block our account. In four days, it was back. Oh, <laughs> I can tell you. that's good. So, so they listen. They listen. They listen, but now Mark hasn't listened, and uh, yet we are his fans. Yeah, part of the things that they have done over time have inspired the things we've also been able to do. I mean, like I told you, when we saw we had challenges of servers and all that, we knew that there was a Facebook that would help us go to people. When you ask me today that why do I have a following that is responsive, of course we have leveraged those tools. I mean, every single day when I make a tweet, any single day of my life, at the minimum, it should be seen by my 5,000 people. That should be the minimum. 
And I, I don't get surprised with that because I want actually to have it seen by 10,000, 100,000, all, all that kind of stuff. But with even all that kind of effort, there is less that has been done in paying attention to the things that are actually should be learned from Africa. That's when I get to your book. Your book is saying things that we can learn from Africa. Oh, well, Mark Zuckerberg and everyone, if they think they have nothing to learn from Africa, they are joking about that, I can tell you. Why? Because there is so much that is going to happen as a result of the inspiration and the platform that we have created. For us, the social media platforms are no longer just platforms. They are rails for creating job opportunities. They are life savers because when, when we didn't have justice in some places, today people have phones. They record some issues in real time and justice happens. Social justice happens as a result of someone posting something that is being done wrong. I mean, we were having so many irregularities, so many crimes being done behind camera and people, now things have changed. Uh, where we stay, you've been to our office place, you've seen that, that, that street. It was very hard for you to, to move with a Mac or an iPhone beyond nine years ago when people didn't have cameras. Now, even thugs fear to walk on the street because they know there is a camera somewhere <laughs> that will report you and people will share it. I mean, all that is happening. But for the book, I am only hoping and I request that whatever you do, make sure you're the first one we feature. Uh, yeah, whatever it may be. They're, it's they're, a promise. Yeah, it's, it's African promise, stories, but make sure promise. you're the first one. It's See promise. what you've done in Chigali. See what you, I mean, we had this conversation a few months ago and all you, you were wearing was enthusiasm. He's saying, I am going to do this, it's going to be, and when we had that conversation for me, it was enough for me to make sure that I keep it on my calendar and share this everywhere. I asked my team and told them, guys, this is our event, okay? This is about us. It is promoting something that we believed in for a long time. I remember about 2015 when we first ever gave out a FinTech award. The corporates, the big players, the mobile money operators and the banks looked at FinTechs like, why are they getting an award here? Yeah? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You don't want them to get the award. Yet they're the ones who do your back-end technology. See what we have now. We've had two presidents endorsing FinTech. Uh, in the Moja Loop community, for instance, when I joined uh, uh, some years ago, FinTech was really a rare keyword. Nobody really cared. But you know we have been here, all of us are here today, leaders of, of, of the community are all here in one place. Why? Because these efforts change everything permanently. They don't just scratch the surface. No, 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 this has caused transformation. See where we are in Chicago today, the president of Zambia is going to be reported about in many places. Uh, the people who follow uh, President Kagame are going to be following. The regulators and everyone are now going to pick, you know, presidential messages are usually directives in so many ways. So they're directing everyone and telling them, we are buying into FinTech. We are going to support this. And mean, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, and well done. It's really, really, I'm really, really happy. And I, can, I, I mean, uh, when we knew we were coming here, I told my team, no, guys, even if it means selling one of my cars, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, will, I have another car that I don't use all the time. <laughs> I'll buy tickets for you to come to Chigali and then we'll be a part of this very amazing event. Yeah. So you know what, there is a, I, I, wanna, I wanna wrap up with, uh, with something. So uh, when, uh, when you ask someone uh, what does he or she do in life, okay, there are uh, two ways of uh, explaining it. You know, one way is uh, 
just do the list of every single company that he or she, you know, have, have worked for, uh, whatever, you know, the institutions or the roles and uh, the board roles, etc., etc. There is also another way, which is uh, how the work that you are doing impacts the life of others, or how do you wish the work you're doing impact the life of others. When, when I was thinking about it, my way to explain what I do in life is I love to give wings to entrepreneurs. And these wings can be money, can be advice, can be motivation, can be advocacy, can be network, can be whatever. But at the end of the day is allow them to fly. Because if they fly, I don't care, you know, karma, or the you know the the world will yeah. give back yeah. you know and that's has been my model since I started falling in love with Africa in 2016. So how do you wish your work impact the life of others? Well, first of all, um, I'm not sure if I can say better what you've said because that's what we've been doing for the last 19 years. But then I also know one truth about life. There's no one who has ever become poor for giving. I'm sure we all know that. Everyone that is watching knows that truth. And I have not seen one single person become poor for giving. And giving has nothing to do with just money. No, no, no. Of course. I know, and I'll tell you, we came with a very amazing team of women innovators here for the Inclusive FinTech Forum. And they are all very thankful. I always go back and get on my knees and thank God you know, in Uganda, and every single time I'm called Maid of God. I never told you about that. <laughs> yeah, but it is my most popular name. Like, when you say Maid of God, it's easier for people to relate with me. But I keep telling people that, oh, wait a minute, guys, I like the progress I see in you. I like the stamps of transformation that we have done through the works of high people and our partners all the years and seen so many people transform. It is for such reasons that we still believe in creative arts even when you have not made a single coin from it. So when you ask me today, oh, is it profitable? No, the truth is that we haven't made money, but I know it is profitable. So I'm sure one day we are going to make the money. But how we want to make sure our work impacts others is we want to see what we say change people's lives. We want to see what we do impact lives and make them better. We want to create ecosystems that are self-sustainable. And because they are not all about money, I have seen a network that we've created over the last 19 years, uh, bringing people together on forums, bringing a regulator in a place where someone who thought they would never meet them, uh, bringing women in places where they create, create their other circles. You have your women in fintech circle here, and you have maybe a thousand of them in one place. And then the extensive circle has 40,000, 50,000 of them in just a period of five or four years. And that is the transformation we want to have. In the end, we want to see that everyone that paid their school fees, went to school, got a skill or not, but they believe that education transforms them, can find something they can do and be more useful citizens to themselves and to, to the economies. We also want to have that person who never got a chance to have that formal education, to actually have something they can do. But most importantly, we want every single individual in this universe to believe in themselves that they can do something to contribute to the change we want the world to be. I have nothing else to add, guys. Yeah. Live from Kigali Fintech Forum, 
inclusive fintech forum in Kigali. I'm sorry, but I will not cut it because we are live. It's been two days. It's been super tiring, but uh, amazing journey. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.